0: Welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians uh, podcast. And uh, today we'll be talking about infection control with Dr. Uh, Lana Bebu, who I uh, knew very well from my days at uh, Indiana University. Uh, Lana actually is a graduate of the American University of Beirut uh, Medical Center. And then she uh, came to Indiana where she did her residency in internal medicine and fellowship in infectious diseases. And very quickly, she became involved in a lot of the initiatives at Indiana University, including becoming Director of Infection Control at Methodist Hospital, and then when COVID hit, she was actually uh, Director of the Vaccine Initiatives for Indiana University during uh, during that period where she did uh, some great work and eventually received an Indianapolis Business Journal Award uh, for her work on Vaccine Initiatives in, in Indiana. And uh, in addition to that, uh, Lana is currently Vice Chair for Quality, Safety, and Population Health at Indiana University School of Medicine. Welcome, uh, Lana, to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Khalil.
0: So Hannah, can you tell us a bit about how you you decided to start your uh, residency at Indiana University and you moved to to IU and subsequently your decision to pursue infectious diseases?
1: Right. So um, as you mentioned, I graduated from the American University of Beirut. And like many, I uh, wanted to come train in the United States. Uh, And I came here to Indiana University um, in 2011. Um, at that time, I didn't really know what kind of special, specialty I wanted to really do. Uh, I was more leaning towards gastroenterology. Uh, but when I when I first started, uh, I was inspired by many leaders uh, or by many physicians in infectious disease. And that's what probably started my interest there. Um, and then, uh, as every infectious disease will, physician will tell you, there's something about infectious disease that's very um, intriguing Uh, that challenge that diagnostic challenge uh and that the interesting cases in id uh, is probably what drove me the most uh to doing that uh so i decided to stay on and pursue fellowship there um and uh, i stayed on as faculty and during my fellowship i uh thought i wanted to do um Lab work, so I worked on uh, actually in the lab on drug development for resistant urinary tract infections, and after two years of that, I decided that it was probably uh, not something that I'm I was as passionate about as I thought I was, um, and I started uh, another journey of uh, searching for the career that I felt most passionate about or the track with an infectious disease and. Um, you know, you get inspired by things that happen around you by just observing what happens in the hospital. And, uh, I was very interested in infection control, uh, for the sole purpose of, uh, trying to prevent harm. You know, it was not, it was inconceivable for me to think that patients who come here to our hospitals, every healthcare system, uh, to to feel better and get comfort, that they would be inadvertently harmed. Uh, And from an infection perspective, they could get, you know, catheter-associated infections or surgical site infections or um, ventilator-associated pneumonias. And this is where I thought, Um, yes, I want to be involved in this work and improve the quality of care that we deliver to patients. And um, I was lucky because at the time there was an open position uh, and it was a big position, but I decided, you know what, I was not prepared, but I know that I can be. Um, So I took on the role and I learned um, and tried to improve myself. And we can talk about that as, as I went in the role. So this is how my career started and where I am.
0: Yeah, remember you took that role pretty quickly after finishing yeah. your fellowship, and it was a big role because Methodist is one of the bigger hospitals in the IU Health network. Uh, so, how has it work in infection control been at, at Methodist? I guess.
1: Yeah, so Methodist uh, is is the biggest hospital. It has uh, over six hundred beds um, in the system. So. Um, it, it's been great. I think, uh, th- this is, this was an opportunity for me to, to, like I said, learn on the job. So, um, my role involved, um, a lot of leadership work, because as you know, uh, with any quality improvement work, you have to engage people in the work that you do. Um, so I, um, in addition to doing the work that I had to do, I uh, was involved in training and educating myself in leadership, um, and in and hus- in, in epidemiology, so I did a lot of courses um, in, in leadership. Um, And I also enrolled in a master's in public health uh, because my work is in hospital epidemiology and the hospital side. And of course, doing an MPH with a focus of epidemiology seemed to be uh, the the best thing for me to learn about about the job. Um, And then as I uh, worked on a lot of the quality improvement projects to understanding the role of root cause analyses and implementing processes uh, for improvement, I realized that uh, I needed some more training and implementation implementation science, and that's when I took a certificate in the IU School of Medicine for implementation science. Um, And I started applying everything that I was learning in real life uh, as we went through the improvement projects at work. So it was a combination of learning from great mentors I had, in addition to trying to do personal development work uh, on the side. Um, And most of the things that we do in infection prevention is um, uh, not discovering new knowledge, but really how do we implement in big systems like Methodist, Uh, And then how do we spread that knowledge to others, not only through publishing and research, uh, but how do we spread it to other hospitals within IU Health? As you know, um, IU is a 17 hospital system, and we have um, joint meetings with many of these um, hospitals where we could share the knowledge so we can learn from others. And then this is where some of our protocols were also Uh, disseminated uh, within IU Health. Um, I'm also part of the Patient Safety Coalition for Indianapolis, and this is where all other non-IU Health hospital systems join as well. Um, And uh, this was actually very helpful during the pandemic, but even before and after, this was a good avenue for us to share, share the learnings in um, infection prevention, because patients go from one hospital to the other, um, and between nursing facilities and back to hospitals, it's important to have this organized effort uh, to try to prevent the spread of infections in hospitals. And that was part of my kind of public health, population health role as well.
0: Can you tell us about like one or two of the successes you've had uh, in the direction of infection control, like some, some things you've prevented or some initiatives that you've taken?
1: Yeah, so um, I'll tell you about the first ones because these ones you remember the most. Uh, And uh, I will say that during... For the past few years, uh, since I started, we've had over fifty percent reduction in hospital acquired infections. Uh, and I know when I speak about we, I say me and my team and my colleagues who've been working hard day in and day out, even throughout the pandemic, to to reduce that. But one of the first, um, the first ones was um, was reducing uh, catheter associated UTIs, uh, and this was a unit that was historically. Um, at Methodists notorious for having the highest infection rate and people had given up on trying any initiatives over there so my my first role uh, was to bring people together so that they understand the why behind it and as I mentioned this is this is more about leadership and engagement than it is, the first stages are more about leadership and engagement than they are about quality improvement. Just bringing the right people to the table um, and explaining to them why it's important to focus some of their attention on that. And then once you hit that engagement piece, uh, what we tried to do is we tried to create solutions together. Um, So it wasn't a top-down approach. It wasn't, I'm coming here as a director telling everyone what they're supposed to do. It was more of let's work together to find the solution. And uh, that also increases engagement and their ability to comply more with the interventions that, that are going to be proposed because it's coming as a team effort rather than as a top-down approach. So uh, we, um, we discovered, based on the data analysis and the root cause analysis, that most of their infections are caused by really overculturing catheters um, that were colonized with bacteria, and there wasn't a clear indication, and, and patients were getting excessive antibiotics. Uh, because of that. Um, so um, we we went through, you know, algor- creating algorithms that were evidence-based, so creating a solution similar to a PDSA cycle. This is something I learned in my implementation science uh, program. And then uh, trying to implement that operationally within the unit. Um, and uh And that resulted in significant reduction in uh, in, uh, infections, really, and in antibiotic prescriptions. Uh, And we tried always in infection control and in quality improvement to look for unintended consequences as we go through those improvements. So we wanted to make sure we weren't causing harm by underdiagnosing infections or causing bacteremia. So we have monitored for that. And I think that increased people's confidence that we were doing the right things for the right reasons. Um, and that uh, intervention spread throughout the entire hospital system. Right now, it's being used everywhere. We are in the as an institution, we are in the top decile for catheter associated UTIs in the nation. Um, and I think these these small projects that turn into big interventions are what I feel proud about the most because they come from, from the units themselves, from the frontline workers themselves, and not from leadership or administration.
0: Right, exactly. Because it's not a top-down approach. You're working with the people on the units and showing them that things are improving. And I think once they see the improvements, they will get more excited to keep working. Yes,
1: and they engage with you on multiple different things. And every every one of those... Um, operational protocols had to be adapted to different microcultures in different units. So the standard remains the same, but the but we wouldn't get into the nitty gritty of how people operationalize some of the work as long as there is a process and there's a measurement mechanism to make sure that we are doing the right things and that we are following unintended consequences as a result.
0: Right. And then during this whole process, the pandemic started. Yes, and of
1: the- course.
0: Uh, can you tell us how it was, like the first uh, month of the pandemic, like how how you dealt with that and and how overwhelming? I bet I bet it was very overwhelming and so how overwhelming it was. That.
1: It was, um, it was, and uh, my hospital was the was because of its size and because it's the uh, academic institution in the state of Indiana was going to be one of the designated hospitals for COVID. So it was an overwhelming sense of responsibility. Um, to one, take care of patients uh, appropriately. So do we have the capacity to take care of the patients? Uh, And how do we make decisions on triaging? Who needs to come to Methodist versus other hospitals? That was a big part of my role. But the big part also that was weighed heavily on me and a lot of my infection control colleagues everywhere around the world, I think, is rationing of PPE Uh, at times where we didn't have enough PPE, and how do we keep our healthcare workers safe? Um, And, you know, I remember, not to dramatize things, but I remember I was seven months pregnant with my first child, and I, you know, we were all very busy. We weren't sleeping the night. Things were just coming up continuously. And I was worried (laughs) for my son I mean, how that level of stress is gonna affect him as he grows, because I couldn't control it. I could not control the anxiety that having to go through all of the literature and decide who gets to get the N95 and who doesn't get the N95. And even knowing that this is all evidence-based, just listening to people and hearing their concerns, their concerns about taking the infection back to their kids and not not feeling safe enough, um, it was very tough um so the way we went around this is really um from a healthcare worker safety perspective we got the evidence and we we worked based off on our evidence um so that we can feel like it's not in subjective response to the to the uh, pandemic but just objective and the other thing is we met with people regularly Um, And this is where the anxiety was because you were hearing angry people and you as a leader in a a responsibility position, you have to accept that people are angry. And this is not on you to yell at them back. It's on you to absorb that anxiety and try to, to... reduce it for them so this was the toughest part i think of all of that is seeing your colleagues suffer through it but we tried to meet ex- very regularly every time there was an email we responded to it and when i say we me and the team that that i work with um and also making sure that we're always updating them with the evidence. Um, In terms of surge capacity, that was another thing that we, you know, had to work through for patient safety. We developed protocols for how do we test patients before procedures um, and um, how do we bring in uh, the newest diagnostic, the fastest diagnostics, who gets the faster diagnostic, who gets the um the the not as much rapid testing Uh, and again all these protocols were shared iu health wide they were created uh as a team and they were shared as well with our uh coalition members so that we're all in in the community taking care of the patients together
0: excellent yeah i mean it was i bet it was it was hard work and uh, and initially a lot of there was a lot of unknowns so yes it was Very hard to convince people not to be anxious at that point in time, and then, and then I guess the vaccines came out. Yes. How did Indiana University approach you to take on uh, the vaccine initiative?
1: Yeah, so I was initially uh, approached from an from an infection perspective, infection prevention perspective, way before the vaccine to. to be part of the medical response team for Indiana University School of Medicine, Uh, we have nine, uh, sorry, so not School of Medicine, through the School of Medicine for the entire Indiana University. Um, So Indiana University has around nine to 10 campuses around the state, and most of them remained open throughout the pandemic. So the role, my role, in addition to three other physician colleagues um, and the public health uh, side of IU, uh, was to keep iu open as safely as possible um, so we were creating protocols for testing um, teachers as well as students uh, and then creating contact tracing systems to make sure that we follow infections and prevent outbreaks so i was responsible for the outbreak investigation control part uh, for for the university and then as the pandemic, went away or as, as the vaccines came on, I should say, um, I, I got changed to that role. And my responsibility was to vaccinate IU basically uh, for safer uh, reopening. Again, we were opened in a limited perspective and we just wanted to open up fully uh, for all students. Uh, IU has 120,000 uh, individuals between students and staff. Um, so we had to set up vaccination, large vaccination clinics, uh, and that was part of my job, uh, is to monitor that, is to develop the operation for um, those large clinics to vaccinate students, teachers, and then for the remote uh, hospitals that are um, for their remote campuses to collaborate with local health departments on, on getting access to the vaccines uh, in the clinics that were already set up. Um, so um, at that time, the time when IU uh, wanted me to do that was the time where vaccine was limited in supply. So we had to really um, work with the health department on uh, getting a supply of vaccine and then distributing it uh, and rationing it. Um, and as part of our vaccination campaign, uh, we opened up in one of the big in our, one of our big um, campuses for the community So we were able to also vaccinate members of the community in this operation. Um, and I think that's what the community appreciated uh, the, the, the give back that IU gave to them by, by creating that vaccine uh, clinic. I worked a lot on vaccine hesitancy uh, and misinformation as well um, and did a lot of town halls both uh, within our community as well as within the refugee community in Indianapolis and did a lot of um, Arab American town halls as well to try to answer questions about the vaccinations. So this was really the scope of my role.
0: So was there there a lot of people fighting back against taking the vaccine, I guess?
1: Um, Within IU. Um, not, no, we we had a vaccination rate of over ninety percent. Uh, we did have issues uh, in the courts, obviously, um, at some point when when the vaccine became uh, a requirement, just like any other vaccine. You know, everyone who gets into university needs to have a list of vaccines, and and when we added COVID to that, uh, there were some issues that were fully resolved uh, in the court, but most of the community was very. Um, uh, accepting uh and a lot of parents would send us notes that they would f- feel like their their children were safe uh in the environment that we created for them so we had a over 90 percent vaccination rate then of course we created um ex- exemptions uh based on medical or um, religious um, uh, basis i guess uh but but for the most part people did not push back we did have a a ton of town halls that allowed us to answer people's questions as well um, about the vaccine. So I think that helped.
0: And I guess that probably like the success of the campaign probably pushed the community to maybe start getting vaccinated, I guess.
1: Right. And, you know, we were lucky because at that time, the vaccine misinformation wasn't at its peak. So those were the times when everybody was excited about the vaccine. Uh, and I think we got lucky in the timing as well uh, because that was that was the time when everyone was over the pandemic and they wanted something to save them and we, they were actually waiting in line to get the vaccine and it wasn't really the other way around. The hesitancy, I think, started after we went through that huge population that was very willing to get the vaccine. Uh, but yes, uh, the more at some point the more people got the vaccine, the more comfortable your hesitant population became. And then they came in to get the vaccine. They did. And they, as usual, there's the early adopter, and there is the um, so
0: How many doctor- people uh, do, you, do you know, like uh, you have an approximate number of How many people in the community, in addition to the people in, in the university, did you vaccinate?
1: Uh, are vaccinated but with How many people in with the us? community
0: were vaccinated with the, in the clinics? Um,
1: I used to have that number, but it's thousands and thousands. It's not like a few hundred. It was a big
0: operation. It
1: was a very big operation. So it was in, you know, Bloomington. Um, So it was in IU Bloomington because Bloomington is the main campus. So it was the Monroe County um, uh, clinic at some point. Uh, The the health department was uh, a a part of that clinic uh, for the most part. And then after you did all of this, I guess you were
0: approached by IBJ, right, for uh, recognition, I guess. So how, how did that happen and how did you know you were going to be recognized uh, in the Indianapolis Business Journal?
1: Yeah, so this was a nomination uh, that I knew later was from our dean and, uh, and the president of IU Health. Um, you know, I was approached, I knew something was going on because I was asked by someone from the dean's office for my CV um, and a brief bio or something. Uh, so I knew something was up, but I didn't know it was IBJ 40 under 40. And I never imagined, you know, I would get it. And then I just got an email that, you know, all of a sudden you just got accepted for this award. And it, it was great, I think of course the award is great and it gives you something back to the work that you've done. It gives you some recognition. Uh, but because it's, it was, um, a recognition of my community service, I think this is where my, um, uh, the best thing about it was is that it was about the community service that we provided for people during uh, the pandemic. Whether it was for my for the healthcare workers who worked at our institutions, uh, or whether it was for the people who got the vaccine later on, uh, I think that ability to impact people's lives uh, in in those tough times was something I was really proud of and was recognized by IBJ.
0: Congratulations on the <laughs> um and I, I guess can you give us uh some examples of other people who are you not know, just to see just to tell people like who you were with and, and that yeah
1: so it's all people like there are inventors there are people so IBJ is a business award it's a right, In- right. business journal award so it's really mostly an industry um people have done great things and I was sitting there and I'm like it's am I really in the right place? Like, uh, what did I do? You know, I didn't invent anything. I just contributed uh, and my job to the community, I guess. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, but, but a lot of people from industry and and the business world, a lot of inventors, a lot of people who created startups, uh, out of nothing, really. Um, And I was looking at myself, and I'm like, I created this with a group of people who were extremely helpful and who raised me up um uh so so I, I i give back some of it to the team that worked with me but yeah some of these people were real entrepreneurs
0: yeah i mean you've done hard work you saved a lot of lives and it was a tough a tough environment you, yeah, i think I so. that recognition. So my next question for you is: How 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 prepared do you think are we to deal with future pandemics? Because probably future pandemics are coming, and yeah, how prepared are we to deal with them?
1: Um, so I think I think we learned a lot from this pandemic, a lot uh, about our incident command structures. So on a local level, I think we've developed our incident command structures, our emergency management structures, um, and our collaborations strengthened a lot uh, before the pandemic. And I since the pandemic, and I see that even on the infection control side, when we collaborate with other institutions, there's definitely. Uh, a new level of collaboration that we didn't have before um we've also um we also have avenues uh, to prepare the public you know uh, that that we weren't aware of or exposed uh, to in the past um we, are now aware of the fact that we need to prepare and train staff, Um, even with the shortage that we are experiencing right now. um, We do recognize. So, for example, we have a special pathogens unit at Methodist that's prepared to take care of emerging infections like um, viral hemorrhagic fevers and others. And we regularly do training of staff in preparation for this. and we've had enormous uh, successes with diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines, was probably the biggest success uh, from this pandemic. So, all that to say is, we have also discovered a lot of gaps, or create, or the pan- this pandemic created a lot of gaps that we need to fill. And I'm not a global health expert, but I think. Globally, there needs to be more funding for public health in general, even in the United States uh, in a state like Indiana. We need a ton more funding. And I think we uh, have the, our, our uh, governor has created a public health uh, commission right after the pandemic to try to um, help with that. Uh, we need better collaboration between industry, WHO and other organized health organizations to. Um, you know, equitably distribute all of the resources everywhere. Uh, we still need a lot of help with that. Um, I think surge capacity for all diagnostics, therapeutics. I mean, viral viral testing, uh, viral research funding needs to be up. Um, and then response to smaller outbreaks um, is also something that we need to focus on, like Ebola right now in um, in in Africa. Um, it's something that we need to focus on. I think the biggest one is combating misinformation and vaccine hesitancy. And I don't, and I think this is probably one area where we left the pandemic worse than when we got into it. Um, vaccinate, anti-vaccination campaigns have really surged, um, and they've widened the um, uh, the distance between science and people. The, the people have less trust in public health institutions right now. They have less trust in vaccines. We saw an uptick of people, you know, who've chronically been okay with flu vaccines, starting to submit requests for exemptions for flu vaccines um, after all of that. So I think we, it, from that regard, I worry that we are less prepared than we were before, even with the availability of more um, better technology for vaccines.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that that's one of the biggest
1: things we need to fight yeah. uh, over time. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and I know we talked about collaboration and stuff and you're doing your master of public health at yes. this point so uh, so what are your future plans I guess after you finish your masters
1: um I I don't know i I find I find myself um not having these great five to 10 year plans, even though you see me taking on leadership positions right now, I am uh, in quality and safety. So I'm expanding beyond IP to full full on quality and safety for the department of medicine at IU, because I am interested in quality improvement beyond just infections, Uh, really improving our system to better take care of our patients. So um, I don't have very long-term plans. I don't know if I will move from quality and safety at a local level to more of a population level state health department or stay within my institution and work more on population health. So populations that we serve. Um, I'm still undecided, but I think I'm trying to prepare myself for either uh, by doing some of that training and by um, seizing, I guess, opportunities when when I see them, uh, with with growing myself in uh, in in more diverse ways than just infection control. Um, so we'll see. But I'm I'm excited about getting into that new field.
0: Yeah, great great work, Anna. I mean, you, you've done Thank you've you. done. So much great work over the past couple of years two or three years and that is at the the same time that you've been able to have two beautiful kids who are still two and a half and one year old so it's it's a lot of hard work and raising two kids at the same time so i would say congratulations
1: thank you and i hope uh other people can see this as more of not a self-bragging but as um proof that we can make it uh if if we try hard. And you know, definitely luck has a lot to do with it. Um being in a system that is supportive, um, having teams that are great is crucial because you can never make it on your own. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I hope that uh, people like us who immigrated and came to you know a foreign country um, initially know that they can really make it uh, if they have the will and determination uh, to do it.
0: Yeah, Thank you. Thank you, Lana, for, for being with us on the podcast. And I hope uh, people uh, will learn about your journey and then about uh, what needs to be done to uh, fight pandemics. In the future. Yes,
1: I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It's great talking to you.
0: Thank you.